Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let Mom's Green Thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give Mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Old school, new school. We'll let you figure out which one is old school. But look at that giant binder. Look at all those papers. Who uses paper anymore? Dunder Mifflin's out of business. It's a laptop and enough paper <laughs> to cover up an elephant in Dave Gettleman's office. And then you got the Tom Telesco set up with four, no, six. He's got five computers and a monitor yeah. on that desk. And let me just say this. Based upon that shot of Tom Telesco's house, apparently it pays very well to be the Chargers general manager, Peter, because that is a hell of a house and it's in California, which means whatever it would cost anywhere else, multiply it by about five or seven times. Well, I wrote about a bunch of people around the league in my column on Monday, Mike, and I had photographs of everyone. I had Justin Herbert and his brothers working out in their backyard, you know, and, and one of the things about Telesco that is interesting is that he's got three kids. I think two of them are middle school and one is, is high school. So they are occupied in you know, distance learning up, you know, up in their rooms all day. And Tom doesn't have a quote office in the house end quote. So he just sort of commandeered the dining room table and, and think about this. I'm sure that one or two more things are going to be added for draft night, Mike, because he's the one who's going to be the chargers guy in charge of making that pick. He will have the IT guy in the house. Everybody know the rules. Every team is allowed to have one IT person in his house uh, in order to be there to make sure that if something goes wrong, it can be addressed quickly. So Telesco on draft night will probably have a screen or two more than he has right there on his table. Is Telesco the one who's putting his kids to work during the draft to keep track of all the all the picks? Is that is he the one who's doing that? Did you have that in your call? Well, one of them, but Brett Veach might do something, uh, yeah. you know, with his kids. And they're, they're, 
Uh, there's a lot of people right now around the NFL who are going to ask their kids to, you know, to do something. Howie Roseman's son, he was telling me at the Combine this year, the Eagles GM, his son wants to be a GM. <laughs> so, you know, I, I don't know how old he is, maybe 15 or 16, but, you know, they're all into it. And, you know, the really cool thing for these general managers, quite honestly, because they all disappear for you know, they're basically groundhogs and they are gone basically from like the middle of February, later in February at the combine, all the way up to the draft. If they aren't on the road, they're at the office all day. So, so many of them have said to me in the last few days, how cool is it? You know, Chris Ballard has told me this. I wrote about him last week, how cool it is to be able to go in the backyard and have a catch with your, uh, with your two baseball playing sons who I think are about 12 and 15. So that's the sort of hidden benefit of being able to be at home as much as these guys are. And and the very real benefit of putting the kids to work on draft night means they're not going to be on the PS4 or the Xbox sucking up bandwidth playing Fortnite. That is the genius (laughs) of finding jobs for the kids because we've seen it with Sims at his house the, there's only so much available on the Wi-Fi plan, and you don't want the kids trying to play video games the night that you're trying to make the connection back to the, to the league office to get your pick in. All right, it's Peter King. It's Mike Florio. It's PFT Live on a Friday morning, back on Sky Sports, live on Sky Sports for the first time ever, and we're getting you ready for the draft. Let's take a look at some of the things that have happened this week, though, Peter. Earlier in the week, we reported during the show that Dak Prescott won't participate in the Cowboys' virtual offseason training program without his long-term deal. The plan was for Prescott not to be there for the normal offseason program, but obviously there isn't going to be a normal offseason program, at least not for now. And Stephen Jones, the Cowboys' COO, kind of shrugged at the news saying, well, it's all voluntary and he's going to have his iPad and yada, yada. Look, the bottom line is if you're trying to get your team ready for its first season with Mike McCarthy and you're simulating what it would be like to have meetings and sessions at your facility and the most glaring absence is going to be your starting quarterback, I think it is significant. I think it is something you don't shrug at, and this is Prescott's effort. Short of the July 15 drop-dead date for doing a long-term deal, this is his effort to squeeze the Cowboys to finally get him taken care of, and I understand why he's doing it. you got to use what you can to try to leverage the team to finally do the right thing and give you the contract you've been trying to get. Doesn't at some point the Jones family have to put up the white flag? I mean, I, I, I just, I'm so curious about it. Not that I, I really don't care whether Dak Prescott makes 36 million over five or 34. I, I don't, I don't really care. And I don't think fans really care, but with a new head coach, if the quarterback is not involved in the installations uh, and he's not making every effort in July when you can carefully and doing it the right way, be throwing to your receivers with new offensive stuff. It, I mean, I, I just think at some point the Cowboys have to basically say, okay, let's, let's draw a line in the middle and compromise and let's each meet in the middle. Because this is this has just gone on too long. The Cowboys blew it at the beginning. By I, I, Mike, we've talked about this before. Have you ever in your life, one time, ever 
ever seen a quarterback negotiation where on, you know, July 9th, you paid less than what you offered on January 1st. I mean, prices don't go backwards. They don't do that. Prices go up. I don't know which way I'm going, but you know, you know what I'm saying? Do the right thing. Get this done. Stop the madness right now. And look, I think one of the concerns is the true deadline is July 15. You don't want to move to your bottom line prematurely because you will be squeezed off it when the real deadline arrives in the middle of July. But wherever the Cowboys currently are, Dak Prescott clearly doesn't like it. And people will say to me, why are you always supporting the player in these in these situations? Well, I, I would assume that over the past decade, as we've become more sensitive to the physical demands and the real risk that the players take we would be more sensitive to the notion that they should get every dollar they can while they can get it but beyond that the Cowboys at every turn have taken advantage of the devices in place to keep Dak Prescott around for the lowest possible cost they squatted on him for his entire rookie contract he made two million in salary last year they didn't renegotiate the deal. They didn't take away the injury risk from him last year. And then they used the franchise tag to keep him off the market. I keep coming back to that, Peter. Once you activate the process that is the franchise tag, you have to accept the fact that the player has rights under that process as well, whether it's staying away from the offseason program, whether it's skipping training camp and all of the preseason and showing up just before the start of the season and making the full amount of the franchise tender like Le'Veon Bell did back in 2017, or whether it's skipping the whole year and forcing your way to the market like Bell did in 2018. The player has rights. The team has rights. And if the team wants to avoid the player having the ability to do those things, just don't use the franchise tag and go out and sign him in competition with the open market. Peter, I have no idea what Dak Prescott would get on the open market, but I have a feeling that the Cowboys probably would have gotten a better deal if they had just let Dak see what else is out there. Because I don't think anyone else is going to offer him what he's able to leverage under the franchise tag by squeezing the Cowboys the way that he is. Maybe, Mike, but it only takes one. And if you're not willing to live with the bluff calling, with either result of the bluff calling, I wouldn't do it that way. I would not have done that. I, I believe, Mike, what, what is important in this case. <clears throat> you know, I wrote a couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago, that Mike McCartney, the agent for Kirk Cousins, who's done all these great deals for Cousins, basically because... He and Cousins have never been afraid of playing at the franchise number. Most quarterbacks want to get the guaranteed number as absolutely as high as you can. All right. So now you look and see, okay, Kirk Cousins, 33.0, you know, and Goff, 33.5. Okay. Those decisions and those numbers are a result to me of smart business operations. And the fact is that Kirk Cousins even though he isn't a top five quarterback in football, he's paid like one because he and his agents have been willing to stare into the abyss and say, I'm fine with a one-year deal. I'll just play on this. I have confidence in myself. And at the end of this year, I'm going to get paid again. And every single decision he's made financially, along with Mike McCartney, his agent, have been absolutely correct. And I think Dak Prescott is going to move in that same direction unless he gets what he wants on a long-term deal. 
play this year under the franchise tag, 20% raise next year. And then the Cowboys, to get him for that third year, would have to give him a 44% raise over what he makes next year with a 20% raise over the franchise number this year. It gets to the point where you just can't do it, and you have to let him get to the open market. And, Peter, here's why I think that the Cowboys should have considered calling Dax Bluff. Because I don't know who would have been out there to say we're going to give him $35 million a year. And even if you're giving him $35 million a year, which is what he apparently wants from the Cowboys, you're not giving him the spot as the starting quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys. You're the starting quarterback of some other team that is not the Dallas Cowboys. And the earning potential that goes along with that goes away. So you almost have to offer what? how much more? Two, three, four million more per year? To, to to get him to not be the Cowboys quarterback. I think I think the Cowboys really could have made a power play here if they wanted to. And they could have said, we're not going to tag you. We're gonna we're gonna offer you something or just do transition tag. Have the right of first refusal. But whatever it is, say, hey, you want to leave? Fine. We'll go get Cam Newton. We'll go after Tom Brady. We'll find somebody else. Uh and uh, we're not going to let you hold us hostage. I'm just, I'm surprised. I wonder if they thought about it, and I'm a little bit surprised they didn't do it because I think at the end of the day, Dak's going to realize his best place is with the Cowboys. I guarantee you they thought of it because Jerry Jones thinks of things like that. And uh, I, I, I absolutely guarantee you they thought of, of this for, I mean, there's a couple of reasons, Mike. The first and the biggest reason is that. Jerry Jones does not like to be held hostage by anybody. And you see, the reason this has lasted so long is that he, he does not like losing in these situations. That's number one. And I think number two, he really, really likes Dak Prescott. He really likes him as a person. He likes him as a player. He doesn't want this to end. He just simply doesn't. And so with that being the case, that's why you see why this thing gets so elongated, you know, and, and, and it looks like it's never, ever going to end. So to my way of thinking, as I look at this right now, I, I think the best likelihood is that they get to July 15th and he does play on the franchise tag this year. And then he sings for a supper, Mike, if he's great uh, and has a really, really good year then the Cowboys are going to be in the same position again next year of having to pay a ransom to keep Dak Prescott. And it's like I say all the time. Pay $2 million more million a year now than $15 million a year more two years down the road. It always happens with quarterbacks. And you think that $15 million number is crazy? I don't. I think the best quarterbacks in football, when this cap really starts, you know, to go nuts, uh, two, three years down the road, it, you know, a really good quarterback is going to make $45 million a year. So, you know, handle your business when you get angry and it seems outrageous, but it's going to seem a lot better number today than it will two or three years down the road. And you flip that concept around and we go to the Carolina Panthers where relatively new owner David Tepper not taking any chances, not inviting any acrimony, not risking a holdout 
from running back Christian McCaffrey, which I firmly believe would have happened without a new deal. Only the third guy in league history to have 1,000 yards rushing and 1,000 yards receiving in the same season. Got his contract this week. Four new years on top of the two that he had left on his rookie deal. $16 million per year in new money. $21.5 million signing bonus. $30.06 million fully guaranteed at signing. Another $8 million becomes guaranteed next year, next March into 2022. So this guy is going to be part of the Panthers for a long time. And Tepper recognized the talent, the work ethic, the leadership, the integrity, everything great about Christian McCaffrey. Cam Newton's gone. Luke Keekley's gone. Greg Olson's gone. McCaffrey's the face of the franchise. And Tepper made the move now without playing that year-to-year game, without getting to the franchise tag, and a win-win. And this is what the Cowboys could have avoided a year ago with Dak Prescott. Whatever Dak wants now, it would have been a hell of a lot less last year. And whatever McCaffrey got now, it would have been a hell of a lot more next year or the year after that. And, and this proves your point, Peter. Strike when you know it's the guy that you want. And if you're paying a little bit more now than you want to, that's fine. Because if you wait, you're going to pay a hell of a lot more than you want to later. You know, two things about McCaffrey that I found very interesting. Number one, everybody said, my God, you don't pay running backs. It's a big mistake. There's two things about Christian McCaffrey's case that make him very different. In Charlotte and in the Carolinas, the billboard player is not the quarterback and it's not the coach. It is the running back. You can only say that for one team in the NFL that the billboard person for the franchise is a running back. And that's the case in Carolina. So you pay him. Number two, Christian McCaffrey will wake up this morning at the age of 23. When Le'Veon Bell signed his four-year $52 million contract with the Jets, he was 27 years old. Christian McCaffrey at the end of this contract will still be in his 20s. So... The way I look at this is very simply that you're paying a guy, you almost certainly, uh, you know, unless it's an honorarium, will not be paying Christian McCaffrey, you know, at the end of this contract. This is it. This is his big deal. So to keep him off the market, to keep him out of the time when the salary cap could be $40 million more than it is right now, to keep him off the market at that point, you pay him a little bit more now, and you build a series of billboards around the Carolinas, and you put his face on it, and that's your guy. Yeah, he's your guy that sells your team until you have your next young franchise quarterback, and that gives you a bridge of three or four years or maybe more. They've got Teddy Bridgewater under contract for three seasons. It could, and it could they be have, Bridgewater, Mike. You don't know. Yeah. And, and look, here's the easiest argument for paying Christian McCaffrey $16 million a year. You're paying Bridgewater $21. And, and this speaks to the difference between quarterbacks and running backs. And, and, and look, this isn't Bridgewater's fault because the market is what it is. But my God, Christian McCaffrey is worth more to that team than Teddy Bridgewater. But because of the position he plays, he's making $5 million less per year on his new deal. All right, we got to take a break. When we return, there are some interesting prop bets out there for the draft. Yes, sports are shut down, but the sports books are going to be taking some action on who goes first and who goes when in the draft that begins in six days. We'll discuss that next here on Pro Football Talk Live.
Just a reminder, NBCSN has sports talk all day long from 7 a.m. Eastern until 4 p.m. Eastern. It's pro football talk for the first four hours. The NBC Sports Football Flex from 11 a.m. to 12 noon Eastern. Lunch Talk Live with Mike Tirico from 12 to 1. The Rich Eisen Show from 1 to 3. And then an encore presentation of Lunch Talk Live at 3 p.m. Eastern. And big news today. Doug Marone, the Jaguars coach, giving up some of his bologna eating time in the noon hour to talk to Mike Tirico. Although, who knows? Maybe he'll be eating a bologna sandwich while he's actually on with Mike Tirico. But check that out during Tirico's show at noon Eastern. All right, Peter, we're six days away from the draft. The William Hill Sportsbook has all sorts of props out there. And the different sportsbooks have any number of bets you can make about the over-under when a guy is drafted, about who gets drafted first, about how many SEC players are drafted in round one, how many receivers, how many offensive linemen. The sports books are desperate to give us things to bet on because there are no sports. So they're going to make a lot of money next Thursday, assuming they don't lose their shirts with all the people who have inside information about what's going to happen. And I don't know that we have inside information per se, but we kind of have a feel for what's going to go on. So let's look at some of these. Tua Tonga Vailoa is a minus 150 favorite to be drafted before Justin Herbert. That means you got to bet 150 to win 100. Would you be comfortable betting $150 to win 100 that Tua goes before Justin Herbert, Peter? I think he's going to go before Justin Herbert. Uh, but it's certainly not a sure thing. I think that's a very, very interesting bet. I'd leave that alone myself uh, because in my opinion, you know, and I'm working it right now and will work this weekend because my mock draft is Monday. Uh, my opinion might change by Sunday at 6 p.m., you know, based on more knowledge. But right now I think that it's more likely that uh, Tua gets picked before Herbert. And, you know, I've been hearing so much buzz the past few weeks about Tua sliding out of the top 10, primarily because team doctors can't get their hands on Tua. And the team's attitude is we want the people who are accountable to us to be providing us the medical evaluations of Tua. When I first started hearing he may slide out of the top 10, Peter, my thought was, well, the team at number 11 must be behind all of this. But I kept hearing it and hearing it and hearing it. We wrote about it earlier in the week. And it makes me think maybe Herbert will go before Tua. So I'd be inclined, if I was going to go with one or the other there, I'd be inclined to go with Herbert. All right, Jordan Love's draft slot over under is 12 and a half. Do you have a lean on that one either way? You know, again, it only takes one, Mike, but I think just I think Jordan Love is going to be taken somewhere in the 20s or or, or somewhere around there. Um, I, I don't, I just don't hear when I talk to people around the league, he's a fascinating prospect. But who's going to be in love with him enough in the top 10? Uh, you, you know, Mike, who's going to be in love with him enough in the top 10 to take him perhaps over Tua or perhaps over Justin Herbert? I could see some people saying that they love him, but picking him in the top 10 would be uh, quite a stretch. Yeah, I agree with you there, and I've heard the same kind of thing, that even though a lot of people really like him, uh, it's going to be a while before he comes off the board. All right, two of the top receivers, C.D. Lamb and Jerry Judy. Lamb from Oklahoma, Judy from Alabama. They are both minus 110 favorites as to who goes first. Co-favorites, bet 110 to win 100. 
Peter, I don't know about you, but I think Lamb's going before Judy. Now, maybe I've been listening to Sims too much. Sims didn't even have Judy in his top five, but I think Lamb is going to be the first receiver off the board. What do you think? You know, in the last few days, Mike, I've been advancing, espousing this theory uh, because I've done some work that you'll see in my column on Monday about, to me, what a mistake it is to, based on recent history, you know, to take a receiver in the first round compared to the slew of receivers, the very good receivers uh, who've been by any measure better than first rounders in recent years. But be that as it may, I think C.D. Lamb is going to go before Jerry Judy, and I think he's going to be the first receiver picked. Yeah, I agree with you completely. And I do like what we talked about last hour, that there are arguments to be made that it's better to be a second-round receiver. It's better to have one. It may not be better to be one from a pay standpoint short-term, but Michael Thomas best of the bunch from 2016, in part because he was upset that he got drafted in round two, and that chip on the shoulder and that focus and that lack of complacency, if you're not a first-round pick, could end up making into a better player. All right, DeAndre Swift is the minus-120 favorite. Again, you got to bet 120 to win 100 to be taken ahead of Wisconsin running back Jonathan Taylor. And again, maybe I'm being influenced by Sims. Sims has DeAndre Swift at number five, I believe, in his running back rankings. A lot of people think Swift is the best running back in the class. Sims has LSU's Clyde Edwards-Hilaire and Taylor at number two. And I know Taylor's got a lot of, a lot of wear and tear, had a lot of, of attempts and a lot of yards at Wisconsin. But I think Taylor's going to go before Swift, Peter. How about you? I think Swift's going to go before Taylor. Um, wow. That's what I am, am hearing. Uh, I think he'll get picked low in the first round. Taylor may get picked low in the first round as well. But I just hear a little bit more buzz, especially by teams that need a back. Again, I probably wouldn't take a back in the first round either. Um, every year, there are more and more, you know, stories written and uh, about the draft where you say, geez, we could have got our back here. We could have got our back there. Um, and obviously, Christian McCaffrey, that flies in the face of that. Ezekiel Elliott and obviously Saquon Barkley have been picked high and are very good running backs. I guess my point is there have been more very good running backs who've been picked beyond the first round, beyond the second round, that uh, have ended up being really, really good and huge contributors. Alvin Kamara comes to mind. But I, I just think that the earliest a back gets picked is in the 20s, and my guess is on the, the, the Georgia guy over the Wisconsin guy. And my hope of any of the teams in round one, the one team that I am rooting for to take a running back, is the Kansas City Chiefs. All due respect to Damian Williams, but they were sniffing around Le'Veon Bell last year when he was kind of available in trade, and they they had LaShawn McCoy. He was a disappointment last year. I mean, Damian Williams is good enough, and he had a great play in the Super Bowl, and he had some great moments during the season, but could you imagine that offense, Peter, that the level it goes to if you get a badass between the tackles running back who can also catch the ball, kind of do it all, uh, to add that to Patrick Mahomes and Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey and Sammy Watkins and Nicole Hardman, that, that, I, it's already not fair for that Chiefs offense. It would be even less fair for the Chiefs offense. Well, Mike, my, uh, you know, as I'm putting together <clears throat> my mock draft, one of the things that I, I'm 
almost certainly going to do because it's happened eight years in a row uh, is having Seattle trade out uh, of its pick at number 27. And if indeed I do, obviously, it if both running backs are on the board at that time, that'd be a good spot for one of those guys to fall if a team high in the second round is interested in that. You know, we mentioned the Seattle Seahawks. And what is so interesting to me, and I've written about this a couple of times recently, is that John Schneider has a totally different belief in what you do with the draft than I would say all but four or five of his peers. DaCosta is like this a little bit, Howie Roseman a little bit. You know, one of the reasons that they really like the trades is that they don't view the trades as any sort of Armageddon deal. They just view it as, eh, I really don't like what's here. I'm not positive what's going to be there, but I really don't like what's here. And I'm confident we have enough players in our top group of, say, 150 that are going to be left that if I trade down and get an extra, let's say, six, I'm going to get one of those 150 players that we believe can make our roster. And that's one of the things I like about the roster churn that you see in a place like Seattle and why I believe for the ninth consecutive draft this year, they're very likely to trade out of 27. We're going to take a quick break. When we return, speaking of general managers, our Friday draft will be which general manager we would want to be for the 2020 draft. We'll do that when PFT Live continues right after this. There's the order in the 2020 draft round one. The Bengals get it started six days from now, all the way down to the Browns at number 10. A lot of decisions to be made in the top 10. And then there's the second 10 begins with the Jets at 11. Jaguars have the 20th pick. So 32 teams participating in the draft, 32 general managers. Today's draft topic, which GM would you want to be for the 2020 draft? Peter gets the trivia question. If he gets it right, he gets the first pick in the draft. The Dolphins have three first-round picks this year. The last time they used multiple picks in the first round was 1992. Who was their first pick in 1992? Miami Dolphins, multiple first-rounders. Peter King was covering the NFL. He should know this, folks, because he knows everything. I'm just trying to increase the pressure. Who was their first pick in 1992? Oh, let me give clue. you a hint. Let's hear your clue. Let me give you the, here's the hint. He still is part of the National Football League today. Uh He's part I of the league no office. Clue. He's part of the league office. Oh, Troy Vincent. Ah, uh, that was too easy. All right, I'll give it to you anyway. I'm in a good mood today. Wait, Troy Vincent. No, don't give Dolphin. it to me because you you gave it you gave it away. You gave it away. You take the first pick. That's true. Who else in the league office was even drafted? Yeah. What now, River on? Right. Yeah. Um, now that right. now that uh, John Runyon's gone. <laughs> yeah. Is he gone? I don't know. Is he? <laughs> I think he's still there. I'm not sure. But anyway, sure, no. But, you take uh, it. You take it. All right. Um. You know, I I thought about this and I considered a bunch of different names and I think this is as simple as it can possibly be. I want to be Brett Veach because I have Patrick Mahomes. Right. 
Let me. I, I, I got the ring. I got Mahomes. I'm the guy who found Mahomes, so nobody's going to second-guess me with anything I can do. I could draft Troy Vincent with pick number 32, and no one's going to call me into the principal's office because I'm the guy who found Patrick Mahomes. I got the ring. I got 20 of 22 starters coming back. I am drafting for luxury. All the other schlubs are drafting for need. I'm just drafting because I have the pick. I may as well use it on somebody. So let me be Brett Veach in this draft, Peter. As much as there's going to be pressure ratcheted up on me because I am the general manager under the biggest spotlight in all of the NFL, I would want to be Chris Greer. And, and look, Mike, we can talk about whatever you want to talk about. Would it be the right pick to take Tua? Would it be the right pick to take Herbert? Are you afraid of Tua long-term because of his health? We all get that. He's going to have to take a calculated risk with this pick without any question. So the reason that I want to be Chris Greer is not because he's either going to be a genius and the executive of the year in two years for doing this, or he's going to be the village idiot and he's going to get fired. The reason I want to be Chris Greer, I'm going to give you, let's assume that he uses the fifth pick in this draft on his quarterback somehow, okay? Whether he has to move up a little bit or whatever. But that fifth pick is going to be his quarterback. I'm going to give you four other numbers right now, Mike. And those four other numbers are 18, 26, 39, and 56. Those are the draft choices that Chris Greer has in a draft that he needs to upgrade his roster at some of the positions that are smack dab right down the middle in the sweet spot of this draft. He could easily still get a very good tackle in this draft with one of those picks. He can bolster his wide receiver core to go along with Devontae Parker uh, you know, at the other spot, he can also get another really good front seven player that they need. And so to me, I look at this and, and obviously he can get a corner, um, you know, to, to basically also bolster that secondary. And so to me, I look at this and I say, I understand there's all that pressure on you up there getting your quarterback, but I'm fine because I got four more picks in the top 60. My only concern about being Chris Greer in this draft is the inability to work up the draft the way that you would in any other year. Like, it's always good to have three first-round picks. This year, it's more precarious because you don't have the private workouts. You didn't have the facility visits. Brandon Bean, the Bills GM, told me last week. But how nobody else did out either. On- I, I understand, okay. but you still, but every time you roll the dice, it's more, it's more of a crapshoot. It's already a crapshoot. You're shooting even more crap this year. I'd rather have three p- first round picks in a year when I can do more homework and have a better feel about the guys I love and feel less like I'm just throwing a dart in the dark. That's my only concern about being Chris Greer. One of the picks that he got this year, the 18th overall, comes from the Pittsburgh Steelers. And I would want to be Kevin Colbert in this draft because I could look at my first round pick that would have been number 18 and say, I got Minka Fitzpatrick. And in this year, with all the uncertainty, I've got a guy who's going to be the cornerstone member of my secondary, like Troy Polamalu was, for the next 10 years and maybe longer because it's clear Fitzpatrick is. And I remember when they traded for Fitzpatrick. It was one of those where we didn't know who was going to trade for Minka Fitzpatrick, but when the Steelers emerged, it's kind of like, 
damn it, we should have known that that was the perfect place for Minka Fitzpatrick. And he's been great for them. There was some talk of defensive player of the year based upon his performance last year. That's my first-round pick. I've already used it. I'll watch Minka Fitzpatrick highlights when that 18th pick is on the clock, and I'll say good luck, Chris Greer, making use of that pick when you haven't had a chance to get ready for this draft the way you've gotten ready for every other draft. So let me be Kevin Colbert. Also, Kevin Colbert pretty good at finding receivers in the mid to late rounds of the draft, an incredible track record. They need receiver help. Uh, They haven't filled the void with Antonio Brown, and I know that Colbert's got the skills uh, to find the right guy in the right round to help them lift that passing offense to a higher level. Well, if James Washington and or Deontay Johnson come through the way <clears throat> they hope, I would agree with you. But that that 18th pick, and again, I love Minka Fitzpatrick, and I think that is good value for that pick. But <clears throat> they obviously have needs, the Steelers do, with a bunch of veteran players getting older. But but again, I, I can agree with you on that one because I like that trade for the Steelers. So <clears throat> my second guy is going to be John Lynch. And this is the reason why. So he knew that he couldn't pay all of the defensive linemen that he had. So he gets rid of DeForest Buckner. And now I believe at that higher pick, uh, number 13 overall, he's going to think, of one of these really good defensive tackles, Derek Brown, Javon Kinlaw. One of those two guys could come into San Francisco and play right away. This is a Super Bowl team that is a very young team. There's not a lot of positions where you can have somebody come in at a manageable salary at one quarter of the, of the money uh, that DeForest Buckner is going to make. At a, at, a, you know, at a manageable salary, you have him come in there. And then at number 31, you have the ability to then take the best player available. Now, Mike, everybody is saying the 49ers got to go get a receiver. I don't agree. Okay, and I'll tell you why I don't agree. Because Kyle Shanahan can make receivers out of what I called in the last hour trait receivers like Debo Samuel. I wouldn't be surprised if they traded down at 31 because they don't pick again until the fifth round after number 31 to trade and to to end up maybe around number 50 and still get a first round caliber receiver if that's what they want. So to me, when I look at John Lynch, I see a guy who's got a lot of things in this draft that he can do and they're all good. All right, let's get through round three quickly because we got to get to break. But I will go with Jerry Jones just because I'd love to be Jerry Jones for three days. I'd love to live like Jerry Jones <laughs> for three days. I'd love to have no accountability, right? All these other guys have to worry about getting fired. Jerry Jones has been asked the question. I remember the Bob Costas interview 10 years ago. Would you have fired yourself by now? And he said, I probably would have. But you know what? I can't. I'm the owner of the team. And you could do the draft <laughs> one day in your mansion, one day in your bus, one day on your yacht, right, and still comply with the stay-at-home orders. I want to be Jerry Jones. I don't know that I can handle it more than three days. I don't know that the, that, that I've got the Johnny Walker blue tolerance uh, or, or that I ever will, but I would love to be Jerry Jones for this draft just because I've seen some of the clips and some of the interviews they've done with players, and it just would be great to be the GM of the Dallas Cowboys and not have to worry about getting fired no matter how badly I screwed it up. All right, Peter, who you got? I'm going to be far more boring. I'd say I want to be Marty Herney. 
I want to be the Carolina Panthers general manager for two reasons. Number one, uh, I can get a franchise cornerstone player at number seven. If I so choose, I can also trade. That is going to be a spot where teams are going to want that pick. So if he wants to, he can trade down a little bit, or he could get a cornerstone tackle that it'd be potentially a left tackle for his team for the next 10 years. And not only do you have 7 and 38, but you have Matt Rule. You know why Matt Rule is an advantage and why three Baylor assistant coaches are an advantage? Hey, Mike, the most important undrafted free agent period ever, ever, is this year. In the two hours after the seventh round, five to 600 players will reach agreement on contracts who were not drafted. And the advantage of having Matt Rule and his staff, all of whom recruited college football or high school football kids heavily, is that now those kids are coming in the draft. He knows them. He knows their mothers. He knows who they are. He knows them as people. So to me, having Matt Rule on your side in undrafted free agency this year is like having five extra sixth round picks because that's the caliber of player you're going to get in the undrafted market this year. All right, excellent point. That's our draft for today. When we return, Bill O'Brien has one wish when it comes to people talking about the DeAndre Hopkins trade. Find out what it is next right here on PFT Live. I think the best thing I can tell the fans is to, is to please because I know the media's job is to evaluate right away. I get that. I have a lot of respect for the media. I've always said that. But I think we have to let it all play out. Bill O'Brien's message yesterday at a pre-draft teleconference. Here's the thing, Peter. This is what Bill O'Brien should have said or someone from the Texans should have said the moment that the deal was announced that DeAndre Hopkins was being traded to the Cardinals for David Johnson plus some draft picks. They failed to get ahead of this. They allowed this perception to bake in that they got hosed by the Cardinals. It's too late now to try to get people to see it as anything other than what they saw it as. The Texans getting not nearly enough. And if you want to get the word out there that Hopkins wants a new contract and you're not going to pay him, get ahead of it. This is a basic PR function. Get ahead of it because once that got out there, once you have that that period of what in the hell is Bill O'Brien thinking, that never goes away completely. Well, I agree, but Mike, I, I, having been uh, in a few firestorms in my career about stories, uh, I think a lot of times there's also the feeling that no matter what you say, no matter what you do, that it, it's not going to have, it's not going to deflect a single thing. So I think that what the what the Texans obviously did, and they've done this on a couple of trades, really last year on Labor Day weekend, you know, with the two ones for Tunsil and Stills, I mean, they got absolutely raked over the coals the exact same way. A and then not signing uh, Tunsil right away. But so they got raked over the coals. In my opinion, I think the reason you don't say a lot at the time is that I don't think it does any good to say anything then. I'm not even saying it does any good to say anything now, but at some point you're going to be asked about it and you have to say what you feel. We're up against the clock, but here's why I believe there's value in saying it at the time. 
you give the people in the fa- among the fan base and among the media, the people who are inclined to give you the benefit of the doubt, you give them something that they can use to argue with all the people who they're dealing with in their lives saying you got screwed. Otherwise, those people who are inclined to defend you are flying blind. That's the reason to get that out there. And we see that in politics. We see that everywhere. That's basic PR. You have to give the people who are on your side something they can use to fight back against all the people who are saying, this is the dumbest trade I've ever seen. All right, we're going to take a break. When we return, Von Miller, due to talk publicly today about his positive test for COVID-19. That and more that you'll be talking about on Friday when PFT Live continues right after this. Von Miller, the highest profile NFL player to test positive for the coronavirus, will be speaking publicly about it today. He'll be on the Rich Eisen Show, 105 p.m. Eastern, right here on NBCSN. Also on the Today Show in the 9 a.m. Eastern hour. But if, if, you, if you didn't see Peter King and I arguing about the Odell Beckham Jr. trade reports, you're going to want to stick around for the re-air. DVR Von Miller on the Today Show. Watch Von Miller on Rich Eisen <laughs> later today. Also, Roger Goodell is going to be on with Rich at 2 p.m. Eastern, so check that out. Peter, before we go, we had a poll question yesterday. I want to get your quick thought on this, and we are up against it. Sims and I tripped over this idea. Would you rather have the Chiefs roster or a roster made up of the best players from the other three teams in the division, the Chargers, Broncos, and Raiders? Which of the two would you prefer? Chiefs, without any question, because they have the quarterback. And I understand that there's a lot of really, really good players in the AFC West. Mayock is building a power roster. Telesco's done a good job with the Chargers, and they will be better this year. Denver is rising. Nobody has Patrick Mahomes. That's my position as well. And Sims takes the other view. The vote with over 40,000 cast by the time it was finalized, Chiefs 59%. And this Vegas-Denver-LA hybrid 41%. I was stunned by that outcome. But it's a quarterback-driven league. And here's the thing, Peter. Who the hell is the quarterback of this three-headed monster? Derek Carr? No thanks. I, and I, I would go with Drew Wait Locke. A minute. But you're he's still got a long by, way to go. You're stunned by the outcome? You're stunned by the outcome in what way? What are you stunned about? Well, I'm stunned I'm that stunned it's that I'm stunned that it wasn't more than 58. Well... Sim, we had a video yesterday, and Sims made a good case for how good the defense would be. It basically would be the 85 Bears defense. So you're not going to score any points. But my take was we saw what Patrick Mahomes did against the 49ers front four. The front four of this hybrid team isn't going to be any better than the 49ers. He's going to be able to run around by time and still do his thing. Yeah, I mean, and when in doubt, give me the quarterback. Andy Reid will figure out how to block those other guys. All right. Hey, we agree on something. In 20 minutes, we will not be agreeing on Odell Beckham if you watch the re-air. See everybody on Monday. Have a great weekend. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.